On March 1st, 2021, a curious paper appeared on the Cryptology ePrint archive. Senior cryptographer Klaus-Peter Schnorr submitted research that claims to use lattice mathematics to improve the fast factoring of integers so much that he was able to completely destroy the RSA crypto system. Certainly a serious claim. Strangely, however, while the paper's ePrint abstract did mention RSA, the paper itself did not. Two days later, Schnorr pushed an updated version of the paper, clarifying his method. Does Schnorr's proposed method for destroying RSA hold water, however? Some cryptographers aren't convinced. Joining us today is Leo Ducat, a tenured researcher who specializes in lattice-based cryptography to help us understand where Schnorr was coming from, whether his results stand on their own, and how the influence of lattice mathematics in applied cryptography has grown over the past decade. Léo Ducat obtained his PhD at ENS Paris on the topic of lattice-based cryptography. After a postdoc at UCSD, he joined the Centrum Wiskunde and Informatica, or CWI, in 2015, where he is now tenored. Uh, Léo does research on cryptology with a special taste for lattices, algorithms, and cryptanalysis. He enjoys all aspects of this topic, from algebraic number theory down to fast implementation. Léo has also contributed to quantum cryptanalysis of lattice-based schemes, showing that not all lattice problems are equally resistant to quantum computing. He is a co-designer of several candidate schemes to the NIST post-quantum standardization process, which we've covered multiple times on this show, two of which, Kyber and Dilithium, are now at the final round, the Kyber um, uh, key encapsulation mechanism and the Dilithium post-quantum signature scheme. Leo is a proponent of openness and science, especially regarding software source code. He systematically makes his research artifacts open source and contributes regularly to the lattice reduction library FPLLL, FPLLL. Leo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, uh, Nadim, for the invitation. This is really a very opportune uh, episode, I think, Um, kind of a topical one. It might be the first episode, except for the real-world crypto episode, where we've actually been inspired by current events in order to cover something. And so, as uh, our listeners have probably seen, there has been an interesting development recently where a a senior uh, renowned cryptographer, um, Klaus Schnorr, published a paper on uh, the ePrint archive where he claims that there are significant advances to um, factoring integers using lattice math. And um, the paper's abstract ends with the sentence, this destroys the RSA crypto system. And this this sent people uh, onto a sort of frenzy. And uh, I was certainly shocked by this. Uh, I think that personally, if, if someone destroys RSA, um, arguably, you could say that uh, they can significantly endanger critical uh, military systems, critical uh, medical systems, uh, internet infrastructure, global infrastructure. Um, who knows? We could see like rockets flying through the sky uh, at the behest of whoever manages to break RSA. So to me, that was a big deal. But the more interesting thing, uh, perhaps, was the fact that apparently lattice math, lattice cryptography or lattice mathematics more fundamentally appears to have a strong relationship with the factoring problem. 
And so I'm a person who's more into protocol design, uh, formal verification of protocols. I have not looked into the relationship between lattice math and uh, factoring, the hard problem that underlies RSA, as much as um, experts such as yourself, Leo. So I was wondering if we could start by talking about what does lattice math have to do with factoring? How, how does this relationship exist? Well, that's a, that's a nice question, really, because uh, it's not necessarily that complicated to understand the relation. Uh, let's think for a second about uh, factoring. So we're given an integer n, and we are trying to find all its factor. So you can rephrase this in some sort of a multiplicative knapsack problem. Um, set the set, take the set uh, of primes, and you just want to find a combination p1 to the x1, p2 to the x2, blah, 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 that whose product is equal to, to n. So that's a subset product, if you will. And if you simply take the logarithm of this, you end up with an equation that looks like this, sum of the x1 log of p1 plus log of it, uh, x2 log of p2, blah, 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 equals to log of n, whereas the x are uh, the x i's are your variables and they must be integers. So this is this is a this is a subset sum or a knapsack problem, and behind every knapsack there is a, a lattice lurking. Behind course, every knapsack, behind every knapsack, there's a lattice construction. You can use lattice uh, math to think about knapsacks, and that's what makes uh, it possible to generalize that into factoring numbers generally. Yes, exactly. But the idea, as I exposed it, uh, just like this. Uh, by itself, it's it's a terrible approach to factoring, right? Because you will need a, a knapsack where the number of weights is is pretty much as large as n, or maybe square root of n, to find all the factors. So that's exponential in the size of n. And solving the knapsack problem itself is uh, an exponential task. So you will end up with a doubly exponential algorithm. So it's definitely not the, the, the road you want to take, but that's an idea. And that's an idea that Schnorr combines with more standards approach uh, to propose uh, an algorithm that it claim is very fast. I see. So um, we I do want to talk about uh, the claims that Schnorr is making. But first, it might make sense to ask more about uh, a general picture of how do mathematicians approach factoring these days? Uh, is there some sort of promising uh, trajectory that people have looked at and, and thought, you know, for, for example, the Pollard-Drow uh, algorithm uh, to a certain degree or the index calculus also facilitate um, to a certain extent uh, solving the discrete logarithm problem, which is fundamental for Diffie-Hellman. Is there something that is equally promising for factoring and for RSA? Yes, so for, for RSA, the current best methods are essentially index calculus methods. Uh, the best known algorithm is called the, the number field sieve. Uh, many people have contributed to it. I see that it is often attributed to Polar. Um, so, but that's, that's a bit of an advanced algorithm. It requires going into um, algebraic number fields, et cetera, et cetera. So 
we can we can maybe start uh, by discussing the quadratic sieve, which basically has uh, all the uh, required IDs. Uh, in, in particular, the construction of what are called uh, factoring relations that uh, uh, Schnorr's also mentioned in his paper. So bear with me a little bit. So to factor n, um, one strategy is to try to find two integers mod n, x and y, such that their squares are equal. But of course, we want them different, otherwise it's, it's a bit trivial. So we want x squared congruent to y squared mod n. I'm always going to put the x's on the left and the y on the right. Um, and to construct uh, this, I'm actually going to take random x's on the left and raise it to the square. Uh, that's going to wrap around modulo n. So the, the right-hand side is, is going to be uh, different from, from a x squared over the integers. And that's probably not going to be an obvious square on the right. But my hope, uh, or the hope of the quadratic sieve, is that at least what I have on the right is easy to factor. Okay. So again, we, we end up with a factorization problem. So maybe we've not made much progress. Is well, that a is that a probabilistic algorithm or not? Yes, this is a probabilistic algorithm. Okay. I'm going to retry with many x's. I see. And, and that's precisely the point. Uh, now, first, my my uh, the element like I get on the right side is a random element. It's not an RSA modulus, so it has more chance of being easy to factor. And if it is not easy to factor, I can decide to reject it and try another x. Okay. So now I'm going to construct a lot of equalities like this, and they're called factoring relations. I have an x square on the left, and on the right, I have a product of primes that are reasonably small. And I'm, if I construct enough such equations, I can do some linear algebra over the exponents on the right parts of my equations to make sure that all those exponents are going to be even. So I can force the right-hand side of all those equations to become even, meaning that I have made both the left-hand side and the right-hand side squares. Okay. So I now have this x square equal y square equality, which you can rewrite as x square minus y square congruent to zero mod n, or equivalently x minus y times x plus y congruent to zero mod n. And that's where your factorization appears, x minus one times x plus y. Okay, you just take a GCD of one of those two factors with n, and you finally find some factor of n. If you look at Diffie-Hellman today, you'll see that over time, uh, people have had to use, uh, in, in terms of finite field Diffie-Hellman, we've had to use larger and larger and larger uh, uh, fields, uh, prime fields. So you have 1024-bit Diffie-Hellman, 2048-bit Diffie-Hellman, 4096-bit Diffie-Hellman. And people generally agree that, um, for example, 512-bit Diffie-Hellman or 256-bit or field Diffie-Hellman is not sufficiently secure. 
for usage in normal times. Uh, and this is, uh, I'm talking about finite field diffie Hellman. And this is because we do have advances and, and speed ups in uh, solving the discrete log uh, that uh, make this a, a problem, right? And I'm, I'm just asking, I'm just making sure, you know, it's not the case in RSA that we were, there was like uh, the, the understanding of, of the math necessary for fast factorization is on the verge of some kind of major breakthrough uh, in order for like, was the setup there for a paper such as Snor's paper to arrive and credibly make the claim, um, I have solved this one last missing element in um, the problem of factoring large integers, and there it is. So in terms of uh, factoring and discrete logarithm, uh, the state of the art is the number field sieve. Uh, so which is a refined version of the quadratic sieves I, I mentioned earlier, also based on finding factoring relations. Um, and indeed, there on this line, on this particular algorithm, there is no expectation of sudden changes. This is a this is a field that has you know been extensively studied. It is an extremely mature state of the art. And now when people manage to go down to the optimization, uh, you know, maybe improving uh, cash reuse or stuff like this, and they get a 10% speed up over number field C if they write a paper about it. So, so it's 10%, just it's nothing cryptanetically, but that's, that's where we are at. Uh, but that's so, not the metaphor of Schnorr. Yeah, so that, uh, I'd like to ask based on this background, what are your impressions regarding the method that Schnorr is using um, does it have any new innovations and does it work? Does it, does, does it produce results? So, I mean, it's a very interesting strategy, uh, but it is in fact not a new strategy at all. Um, concerning in the particular claims that he made in his papers, those claims he actually started making them in, in 2009. At Eurocrypt 2009, he gave a, a REM session talk. The slides are publicly available where he was claiming polynomial time factoring. So, so it's not just broken in practice, it's like broken, completely broken according to, to you know, standard definition of security for, for at least theoretical cryptography. Uh, so it's it's an old idea, but it's this this claim is still unpublished after 10 years. And we still have seen no challenge solved. So this is already a sign that maybe, you know, maybe those claims are, are not so, so substantiated. So, 2009, that's 11, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, have there been any uh, modernizations or improvements to the factoring strategy uh, proposed by Schnorr since that time? Or is it exactly the same thing? So if you look at the draft from March 1st, because you mentioned uh, in introduction that there were like two versions, the version of March 1st looks more like the one from 2009, where the lattice that he requires um, have very large dimension, but he makes this extremely uh, surprising claim that he has a polynomial time algorithm for finding short vectors in large dimensional lattices. This is this is a very surprising claim because the the those problems are known to be NP hard. So if you actually if you, wouldn't that wouldn't that also break uh, Kyber? 
that would not only break Kyber, that would break all cryptography because if you yeah. because it, it's NP hard, right? It, all all cryptography belongs to 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 the NP class. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, this is a fantastic claim. Well, all all public, you know, all asymmetric cryptography would that have an impact on symmetric cryptography, such as a block ciphers or or hash functions? Well, uh, I, I think as long as you can test whether you properly decrypt, you belong to NP, right? So that would also okay. break symmetric cryptography. I see. Okay, so so that's. I mean, so why would why would he limit his uh, claim to RSA in that case? Why wouldn't he just say I have destroyed? everything <laughs> I, I i am the I, I am the what's that uh, quote from that atom bomb guy i have become death destroyer of worlds you know <laughs> that's that's kind of what i have in mind when someone says something like that uh, it's it's kind of the question that uh, every expert that has been looking at it uh, has been asking and uh, unfortunately it's not like we can uh, poke schnorr very often i don't think we've seen him uh, in conferences uh, lately so yes it's it's something that uh, looks a little bit uh, maybe incoherent overall but uh, maybe instead of discussing, uh, you know, what 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 goes wrong, I, I would still like to to explain a little bit the idea behind behind Schnorr because I think it's mat mathematically nice, and it turns out that it, it has other application than factoring. So I, I, Schnorr fails at factoring with it, or at least we could we don't understand how he claims that it works, and we doubt that it works. But the idea has been reduced. So, so let me lay it out, maybe if you if you wish. Yes, please. I would love to understand more about uh, how this uh, paper, what it contributes, and how that works. Uh, so it's actually a, an even older idea. He laid it out in a paper already in 1991. I mean, it was. You know, it was an approach to factoring. There was no concrete claim that this or that was broken in that amount of time. It was more of a theoretical layout, but it goes like this. So remember, uh, I explained that you could convert factoring into a subset sum problem in some sense. So now Schnorr's idea is like, instead of aiming exactly for N, uh, I'm gonna try to just get close to N. And doing that allows you to consider much less primes in your subset sum problem, right? If you want to fall exactly on N, your basis has to contain all the factors. But if you just want to fall nearby, then maybe you can use a much smaller uh, factor basis. And now remember my X squares and my Y squares. So, we're not going to square x. We're going to not going to use uh, squares x's, but we're going to replace this x square by a product of primes, and we're going to use lattices to aim for an x that is very close to n. Okay, and if x is very close to n, when you reduce x modulo n, you get a y that is going to be small. It's not going to be a random y modulo n. It's going to be something that is biased toward being small. And if it's small, then it is more likely to be easy to factor. I see. That sounds, 
I am the least expert person on this branch of uh, cryptography. I don't know anything about this stuff, but uh, that sounds like it makes sense in theory. So what's what's so bad about this approach? Well, there, there are two technical um, things to overcome here. Is the first one is, you know, how large of a lattice do you actually need? I said it's smaller than the naive strategy, but is it small enough so that you can you know, uh, solve it with with the state of the art for lattice algorithm and for the knapsack problem. Um, so in his old draft, he was using very large lattices for which we don't know how to find short vectors. In his new draft, uh, I think there is a computation mistakes and he claims that he can factor uh, maybe an 800-bit integer with, with a lattice of dimension uh, 95. Dimension 95 is something I do on a daily basis, but still, uh, you know, we could test the algorithm and then it just, it just doesn't work because there's a, there's a mistake in the, in the volume computation. What is, what is a lattice of dimension 95? Is that big? Is that small? It used to be big. Nowadays, it's something that uh, finding the shortest vector in that is like a few minutes. So I have a PC at home. I can use it to find using Sage, for example. I can I can quickly find the shortest vector in a dimension ninety five lattice. Uh, the algorithm to do that has not been pushed to Sage yet. So uh, you won't do it with Sage, but maybe if you're if you're a bit more savvy, you can use the, the general sieve kernel. And, uh, and then dimension 95 is, uh, is less than a minute or so. I, I, maybe I'm not committing to that number, but that's, that's the range, yes. So you said that Schnorr's approach does have some utility um, parallel to his claims regarding RSA. Uh, what are those, what, how is it useful? How, how does it actually produce something that you think is, is, is a legitimate, legitimate contribution? Ah, that's, uh, so, so as I mentioned, um, the, the first trace of this approach is uh, 1991. And then there was like some follow-up by Adelman. Um, and Adelman tried to make Schnorr's approach into a complexity theoretic proof. So he wanted to show that uh, if you can solve uh, the shortest vector problem, then you can also factor. So in some sense, SVP, the shortest vector problem, must be harder than factoring. That was at the time where uh, we didn't know where lattice problems stand in, uh, you know, in the zoo of the, the complexity theory. And uh, so in 95, Eidenman wrote his draft and I think he never really finished it because maybe it doesn't, it doesn't exactly work. But a few years later, Miklos Aitai uh, tried to finalize this approach and he, he took the same lattice constructions and, but he couldn't make it work. But instead he made something much more powerful work still based on those lattices, on those lattices constructed by taking logarithms of primes. And in fact, what he found is an NP hardness proof for the shortest vector problem. So again, Aitai prove something much stronger than Adelman wanted to, namely that the shortest vector problem is not only harder than factoring, but factor, uh, harder than every NP problem. And 
in the final proof of this, there, there is no more factoring algorithm behind it. It's it's uh, it's really a geometric construction where it related to to knapsack. Um, there is one other uh, variant of this idea that I that I hold very dear. It comes from the uh, core and reversed crypto system, which is actually predates a little bit the, the, the work of Schnorr. And this, this one, we're still going to take logarithms uh, of prime numbers, but not, not continuous logarithms, but discrete logarithms. And we're going to construct a lattice in which we can solve the bounded distance decoding problem. That's kind of another easier variant of SVP. And this is useful for constructing crypto systems. This is useful for error correction over continuous channels. This is something very deep in communication theory. And what's particularly funny is that this is really the reciprocal of Schnorr's ID. Schnorr is trying to solve factoring using lattice algorithms, whereas Corevist is going to do the opposite. It's going to construct easy factoring instances and going to use that to solve lattice problem. So uh, this, this connection is, is, is very deep. Um, there are other examples. Curtis Bright has a very nice slide about relating this to the ABC conjecture even, so very deep. Uh, number theoretic mass. Some variant of Schnorr's algorithm also played a recent role uh, in the work of Lee, Pellemari, Stelle, and Wallet to construct a, an LLL algorithm over number fields. Um, this is definitely a substantive uh, contribution. It's not just some waste of time. But you're saying that it's just that the use case here is off. Uh, this is not something that can be applied to uh, solving the underlying hard problems for RSA and uh, does not appear to succeed in that use case. So in you posted on GitHub a new GitHub repository called um, uh, Schnorgate, but uh, uh, so the, the, the more significant um, title is Testing Schnorr's Factoring Claim in SageMath. And you claim to have uh, written out Schnorr's factoring claims uh, in Sage, and, and here we can even download um, a uh, reasonably small uh, Sage script. When I saw this, I was a bit uh, surprised because the script looks so much simpler than the paper. Um, and you're saying that if we run this script locally, we can, in fact, uh, analyze, uh, we can run the proposed um, fast factoring algorithm proposed by Schnorr and check for ourselves whether... Uh, his claims hold up. And here you've configured it to run uh, a thousand times because it's a probabilistic algorithm and you claim that no such factoring relationship was found. Uh, yes, precisely. But uh, the purpose of uh, this repository was uh, was really to lay out uh, the, the history of, uh, of this ID uh, because... This strategy, this uh, strategy of Schnorr's, this, uh, this general idea, it may have seemed like completely new, out of the out of the blue to some people, and so it might have been. And some people think, okay, the exact uh, algorithm as laid out doesn't work, but maybe this is something 
uh, deeply new that we should worry about. And I, I really wanted to, to make the point that this is a beautiful idea indeed, but it has been long known and it has been long been exploited by cryptanalysts. And many experts think this is, while fascinating, this is, this is simply not viable to, to beat the state of the art. I, th I think it would have been nice to document the slowness of this algorithm to, to make the study and show that, no, this, 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 seems, this seems like way too slow compared to standard but methods. Wasn't there, I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Wasn't there any sort of verification that was done from Schnorr's side uh, before uh, posting this paper on ePrint? Uh, don't you think that maybe there were tests that were run? It seems like something that's very easy to verify. As you've mentioned earlier, there are certain challenges that are proposed where there are monetary rewards, financial rewards for uh, factoring certain integers of certain sizes. Um, and so how is it that this wasn't tested before being uploaded? I have no explanation. I, unfortunately, I, I'm not in communication with Schnorr is not particularly uh, present at conferences anymore. I'm, I'm honestly, this is, yes, this is indeed very surprising. If you make such uh, such grand claims, typically you would come with very concrete evidence because it is easy to produce those concrete evidence. You know, they, as you say, there are challenges. Regarding factoring, there are challenges, but also for, you know, the intermediate claim of a polynomial time algorithm for lattices, you also have challenges. I, I have no explanation to why Schnorr did not do that, especially since, you know, he has been coding those algorithms since the 90s. So he has a code base. Uh, he has probably competent uh, students to help him with, with coding this. So I cannot make sense of the absence of uh, resolved challenge associated with this research. Okay. All right. Well, I think that we understand uh, the uh, uh, sort of history and motivation behind this paper, and that's good. Um, maybe it's time we moved on. So um, I think that uh, we've covered, um, you know, that lattice algorithms uh, are useful at finding uh, shortest vectors um, and that this is related to factoring. Uh, can you explain uh, what's the latest state of the art uh, when it comes to um, algorithms for uh, finding shortest vectors and where this is going? And also, I'd like to maybe direct the conversation in a direction where we're talking more about lattices in general and uh, recent advancements in lattice-based cryptography and anything you can shed light on in that regard. Yeah, I, I love talking about lattices. This is really my main uh, um working uh, area. Um, so regarding finding the shortest vector or related problems, but essentially all the techniques are related uh, to, to the same class of algorithms. Um, there are basically two approaches, two uh, standard approaches to finding short vector in lattices. Uh, there are enumeration algorithms and sieving algorithms. It's, it's a bit annoying that we use the word sieving both for lattices and for factoring, but uh, this leads to a bit of confusion. But now on, we are only talking about lattices, so no confusion possible. 
So let's start with enumeration, which is maybe historically the the the, the, the first one that got into cryptanalysis. So enumeration is a recursive algorithm, and you're going to start by finding vectors in projected lattices that have smaller dimension. Um, and, and from there, you're going to try to lift them. You're going to lift all of them. And they have infinitely many pre-images when you're trying to undo the projections. But among all those infinitely many pre-images, you're going to select only the shortest one. So the other technique uh, is sieving. And it existed for maybe 25 or 30 years. But it was long considered impractical despite um, being better asymptotically. It's only exponential. And for sieving, what you do is you start with maybe uh, large vectors in your lattice, but you construct a lot of them. And if you have a lot of them, then you can look at their differences and you can hope that the difference between two of them is maybe a bit shorter. So you can repeat this process to make the vectors shorter and shorter and uh, and finally hope to, to find the shortest vector. And nowadays, uh, sieving is considered the fastest and most practical algorithm. And this is the algorithm we use to break challenges. You just mentioned lattice challenges. So could you talk more about that? Are they similar to the RSA challenges, perhaps, uh, or the other kind of like solving uh, hard problem challenges that we've seen for other kinds of uh, hard problems in cryptography? Ah, uh, that's, that's an amusing question because, uh, you know, those factoring challenges, uh, they can be a bit less convincing when you solve them because at some point, you know, someone uses a secret key. So it's kind of a, they're trapdoored, right? Whereas uh, those lattice challenge that we have on the Darmstadt uh, lattice challenge webpage, they're not backdoored. It's, uh, it's, uh, so when you solve it, there is really no doubt uh, that uh, that you really uh, solved it and not just uh, saved a secret key for 20 years and started using it. So I, I think those uh, those lattice challenges are even more, um, you know, striking evidence that you can run this or that computation. Okay. Um, so I see here that you have work with... Um... Mr. Van Woorden, um, could, could you please say that name? Vessel van Woorden. Vessel van Woorden, all right. And Mark Stevens, uh, you were recently able to improve the record on the Darmstadt Lattice Challenge that we just talked about. So the website is latticechallenge.org. I'll, I'll link to that in the podcast description with a shortest vector in dimension, dimension 180. So what's the scale here of the dimension? So... Um, uh, is like what's the difference between 95 and 180? Is it a linear scale, uh, exponential scale? Um, how does it? What's the difference? How do I calculate the difference in difficulty between uh, a, a dimension 95 lattice and a dimension 180 lattice? Was with the with the current algorithms that we have, uh, the complexity is exponential, and uh, roughly it doubles every three dimensions. I see. Wait, if it's exponential, shouldn't it double every one, every one dimension? Well, it's exponential, but the basis of the exponential is not two. I see. Okay. And so, so it's uh, yes. 
it's it's a bit better than brute force, but it's still exponential. Okay, I see. Um, so uh, it seems that if I look at the website here, the record is 180, like dimension 180 lattices. Uh, is that is that bad? Uh, what kind of lattices are you using uh, today in production systems, such as uh, you know, uh, lattice-based signature schemes, lattice-based um, um, key encapsulation mechanisms? Uh, what's is, is there? A, does this same notion of like dimensions apply there? I assume it does. And uh, how, how big are these dimensions? So uh, it's a subtle question. So when you look at the, the schemes themselves. Uh, you see lattices of dimension maybe a thousand or two thousand. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to break such large lattices. You don't have to find the shortest vector in such a large lattice. So the way those uh, crypto systems are set up, you don't have to find the exact shortest vector. You have to find something which is a significantly large, large factor of the shortest vector. And there is kind of a game of trade-off between the dimension and of the lattice and the approximation factors that you need to reach. So this is, this is so-called the BKZ algorithm that provides this trade-off. And breaking the NIST candidates uh, based on lattices would require solving the shortest vector problem in dimension 400 or even a bit more. So we are still very far away from, uh, from those challenges. Could you talk more about um, any recent advances in uh, solving lattice, uh, finding shortest vector in uh, lattices of uh, dimensions like above 150? So um, in, in 2018 is pretty much when we finally implemented all the tricks to get sieving to beat enumeration. And with that, we reached a challenge uh, 155. And more recently, we, we've reached uh, dimension 180. Uh, but between those two things, there has been no algorithmic improvement. The difference between 2018 uh, challenges and, and the, the more recent one is that we switched hardware. So the previous challenge were done on the regular uh, CPUs, whereas uh, with the new challenge, we solved them using uh, graphic card GPUs. And not even any good old GPUs, but really those most recent ones, those uh, RTX uh, NVIDIA uh, GPUs. So you're the reason why no one can build gaming PCs anymore. <laughs> no, I'm not, because I'm only using four of those on my on my server. I'm not. Uh, I don't have a huge farm of them. I but see. it is a, it is a punchy server. It has four of those GPUs and uh, a terabyte or and a half of of RAM. Mm -hmm. And uh, but what is funny about this research is that those uh, tensor cores that are inside the NVIDIA RTX, they were definitely not designed for cryptanalysis. They were designed for, uh, you know, machine learning and maybe ray tracing. That's why we have them on consumer hardware. Yeah, I, I think it's the same thing when people realize that they can use GPUs to like mine Bitcoin. I don't think back in when people first realized this, that uh, whoever designed uh, NVIDIA GPUs was like, I need them to be really good at SHA-1. 
hashing, you know, like it, it, it's by coincidence, uh, right? Isn't that right? Um, yes, it's it's definitely a, a quirk of uh, crypto analysis. Whenever there is new uh, mm-hmm. hardware with incredibly incredible spec, it's like uh, okay, good specs, but uh, is it fit for my problem? And typically, it's not. And it, you you have to fit the problem to the hardware. It's not going the other way around. And uh, but it doesn't necessarily work. For example, you know, factoring within GPUs, I don't think it has ever been done. But in this case of those uh, lattice algorithms for sieving lattice algorithms, that is very well fit for GPUs indeed. So tensor cores can do matrix multiplication, and that is why uh, they're fit for uh, improving uh, shortest vector problems, uh, finding shortest vectors in lattices. Yes, they they do matrix multiplications at very low precision. And basically, we're, we're using this to compute uh, very, very fast, many, many inner products between vectors. And that allows you to uh, deduce their distance. And you can tolerate uh, not having an exact result here because you only use the, the tensor core GPUs as a pre-filter to detect pairs of vectors that are you know, likely to give something short. But then you do a higher precision computation on the CPU if when you've detected something that is promising. I wonder if you can use that to make board game AIs. Probably, like, because uh, uh, I'm talking, it's, it's not very important, but uh, I spent like a month last summer learning more the basics of, of like AI and machine learning. And uh, yeah, I think, I think almost definitely you can use that to make like a really strong really fast AI. I, I personally have never studied AI in sufficiently depth, in sufficient depth to give uh, an informed opinion there. I'm yeah, sorry. Me neither. Me neither, frankly. Um, it's just a hobby thing. Okay. Uh, well, so I think we're, wow, we're way over time, actually. Um, do you, I, I think we need to, we need to wrap this up. Do you have any, um, like, interesting um, aspects of, of lattice-based cryptography that you are optimistic about, that you're looking forward to, and that you think will be especially significant in applied practical cryptography over the next five or 10 years? Um, well, so there is this ongoing standardization process, of course, and we're, you know, for, for defining exactly the lattice parameters, we really need kind of a high confidence security estimate. And maybe this is where uh, lattices are a bit behind compared to other schemes. At the moment, it is a bit hard to to claim a level of security up to a, maybe an error of 10 bits. So you can take security margin. You can, you know, have be on the, on the safe side of those 10 bits. But I think there is uh, a bit of very hard work to do here. It's, it's not necessarily the most uh, fascinating thing. But in terms of, uh, you know, fascinating research, I, I think, well, you know, maybe not for factoring, but the ideas of Schnorr and Corivest, I think they've been maybe under undervalued. I think uh, in terms of lattice construction, at least on the theory side, we've, We've had a bit of too much focus on those magic problems, uh, SIS and LWE. And they've been extremely versatile. They've given you so many things like fully homomorphic encryption, zero knowledge proofs, functional encryption, you name it. 
But I think it would be nice a little to, to go a little bit outside of comfort zone uh, from SIS and LWE because there are other ways of constructing lattices that are fascinating and have uh, very nice properties that maybe we could exploit for cryptography. There is this magical leech lattice, right? This 24 dimensional lattice that is the best packing in dimension 24. I mean, it's hard to not think that maybe we can exploit this to build better cryptography. I see. Um, so that sounds pretty exciting and I'm glad that you were able to join us today to talk more about this stuff and especially to not only um, give some, I think, necessary background on recent claims regarding the applicability of lattice math to factoring and whether or not we need to like run for uh, bomb shelters or anything like that because someone has broken RSA, but also for your insight into uh, lattice-based math in general. Um, I think it's good to have uh, an understanding of where the field is at the moment. Uh, unfortunately, this has gone over time. I'm going to need to prune the episode back a bit because I found that people definitely stopped listening after the 45-minute mark. Uh, but uh, Leo Duca, thank you so much for joining thank us you very much, on uh, Cryptography FM. And uh, I hope to um, have uh, more cool experts. If you're, if you're interested in cryptography and working on an amazing, cool branch of research... Come and explain things to me and to my listeners. I am certainly very stupid and could use people explaining things and listeners benefit because, you know, the, the side effects of hearing things explained to someone is that you learn a thing or two as well. So if you're working on something interesting or cool, please come talk to us about it. But whether you are a uh, listener or an active participant, uh, I hope to see you again soon on Cryptography FM. Oh, 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 oh,